I'm Sharon Betters, and you're listening to a resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. This conversation is part of our Help and Hope audio library that is filled with free resources designed to equip and enable and encourage each one of us to walk the pathway that God has marked out for us. You can find many similar free resources when you visit markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org. You know, today's topic is a difficult one. There are thousands of people, millions probably, across the world who struggle with depression. Sometimes the depression is just a like a blue cloud that follows you around. Other times it slams you into a corner where you cannot even function. In the studio today with me is Sue Tell, and Sue and her husband, Bill, have poured into the lives of others through their careers with the Navigators, so no one could have prepared them for that season of life where they needed others to come alongside of them in a very dark place, a place called clinical depression. I first met Sue through her blog, Echoes of Grace, and I am so eager for you to join me in my conversation with Sue as she transparently shares her side of the story of Bill's depression and offers help and hope to others who want to come alongside of someone they love who just can't seem to function under such a dark cloud. You can also hear Bill's story at markinc.org. So Sue, welcome. Bill actually went through that depression 18, 19 years ago. So we've had a long time to process that. And in those years, 18 and 19 years ago, our one son was in seminary and the other one was doing an internship with the Navigators. So we kind of were empty nesters, but now we're really empty nesters. They're both married. We have five grandchildren. About me, I really enjoy writing. I enjoy photography. And I enjoy leading women in developing their friendship with God, whether it's through retreats, through writing, or sitting down with a cup of coffee with another friend. Bill and I are still full-time sharing the, the gospel, the good news of the gospel, with whoever God will bring into our paths. Well, one of the ways that I met you was through your blog, Echoes of Grace. Actually, that is how I met you. And uh, you, anyone who is listening, can check out Sue's writing at Echoes of Grace. She's so down to earth. Uh, and we're both in the same season of life. So there's a lot that resonates in my own heart when, when I read your work, Sue, and I really appreciate it. In your husband's book, Lay It Down, he transparently shares his struggle with the depression, that really dark place. And as I was reading it, I was just overwhelmed with sadness for him and for you. It seems as though that depression hit him like a runaway train, that it was not a slow progression. Did you notice anything different about Bill that alerted you that something wasn't quite right? You know, Sharon, I think in a way it was a runaway train in that we did not see it coming. The reality was it probably was coming a lot more slowly and for a lot longer time than we were even aware of. We were in a season where Bill had just finished directing one of our Navigator National Staff Conferences in Florida, in your state. Mm -hmm. So, and that is always a busy, busy time. You know, did something alert me? Well, maybe, but I almost wonder if I just wasn't so much in the busyness 
and in the excitement of what was going on that I was not aware. Um, I remember we left the staff conference and we drove up the coast, the Outer Banks of North Carolina, to have a a week of rest and vacation. And I remember even before we left Ocracoke, I remember being on the phone setting up our next ministry appointment. And I also kind of remember thinking, I'm not sure this is right. (laughs) But that's the extent of, of where it was right then and there. So I think it was coming, but I was so involved in everything as well that either I didn't choose to see it coming or I would... Bill and I say we were both blindsided by it. Do you think there's a part of you that felt uh, uh, he's going to be fine? Yeah, I, I, I see he's struggling a little bit, but he's my strong guy and he works for, you know, he, he helps other people and well, it'll be okay. I, yeah. I feel like that might be what I would do. If yeah, I yeah, do yeah. I, th- I think you're right. And also the beginnings of it was more defined by, is there a medical issue going on? I mean, it took a couple of months before we got to this depression diagnosis. So, you know, we're looking at the medical side of it and trusting the doctors, the medical doctors. Did they listen carefully to you or did they just kind of go through a protocol of, okay, there's these complaints, but we'll just run some tests? Or when did you, when did you find them expressing real concern? Our family physician at that point in time, he's now retired. I can't believe he did that. Um, (laughs) Is an elder in our church, and Bill is also an elder, and so they knew they know each other personally as well as patient doctor. So yes, I do feel like Bill was listened to right from day one. However, our doctor treated it as a medical issue at first, and you know, let's do this test. Let's see. Oh, your blood pressure is a little bit high. Okay, let's treat that. You know, and it took I don't know maybe four appointments and. We were on a trip, and this was in October, and everything kind of started in the summer. We were on a trip to Illinois, and we were back at our home church, a place we love to be, big missions conference. And Bill, during the night, just woke up with a panic attack. And the next morning, he called our doctor from Illinois, and we're in Colorado. That is totally unheard of for him. And the doctor said to him, he said, Bill, I want you to keep a journal of everything you are thinking and feeling. And when you get home from, you're not going to die, but when you get home from Illinois, I want you to come in and read me your journal. Wow. Right. Wow is right. That's a friend. Yes. Yes. And then he said, Bill came in, read him the journal, and he looked at Bill and he said, Bill, You don't know how many men who are your age who have sat in that chair with the exact same symptoms Mm. and the same diagnosis that I'm going to give. And that's when the diagnosis of clinical depression came into the picture. And I really appreciate you saying that because somehow I want listeners to understand the life that you and Bill have and had at that time. You're pouring yourselves out, you're public figures. You are looked to for leadership and counsel and help. And of course, you would not ever struggle with depression. You know, he would never, ever have a panic attack in the middle of the night. That doesn't seem possible. And so I would think that it would be hopeful to hear your doctor who loves you as a friend say, 
you are not unique in this situation. Yes. yes. Yeah. This is this is common. Right. And that I think would be helpful for all of us to remember that, that that this is not a mark of shame. This is something, this is part of the season of life, it sounds yeah. like. It was a season of life. It's also in his genetics. Several of his relatives on back had struggled with depression. Mm. I mean, there were a lot of factors there. I'm thinking of myself as a wife and my husband is a ministry leader and, you know, same kind of calling, um, strong. I'm imagining you as you're watching Bill sort of falling apart and imagining how you must have felt. Can, can you describe some of those feelings? I'm not sure what I'm going to say is what you're going to think. But those first few months, I was right there with Bill in that whatever he needed I wanted to support him in that. I did not question what he was going through. I don't think I felt shame about his problem. You know, one of the things we realized is he needed space. He's an introvert. He needed alone time. And so I just took over the role of answering the phone or answering the door. And for the most part, just turning people away. Mm -hmm. You know, no, he's not able to sit down and talk with you now. There were a few exceptions to that. Um, but if there was an exception, I never made a decision without checking through with Bill. For instance, our senior pastor called and said, hey, can I come over and, and, and bring some books and just see Bill? And you know, bless his heart. Wow. Yeah. So I hung up the phone and I said, hey, Bill, you know, Joseph wants to come over. Are you okay with that? And he said, yes. So my, my response initially and up through... December, up to the beginning of December, was very much just be with Bill, try to provide what he needs, try to protect him from what he doesn't need at this point in time. And I don't know if this is the right way to say it or not, but kind of let this run its course. You know, as you're talking, I, I, I sense that your marriage, because of your marriage and your relationship to Bill, you had trust in him and his character, and you knew that this was not a pathway he would choose for himself. Right, absolutely. You knew, you knew that if he could get out of it, he would get out of it. Right, And so absolutely. whatever you could do to protect him and to help him at the right time to get there. The other thing that you said that maybe you could just explain a little bit, you said that Bill is an, ex an introvert, and yet Bill's calling is with people. Can you just explain a little bit about what it means when you're an, an introvert? And you know, there are so many Christian leaders that are introverts. I mean, he's in very good company there. As I was first learning about this introvert, extrovert thing, probably way back in the 90s, you know, I, I thought, man, Bill has just learned how to be in public. But then when he comes home, he just needs that time to recharge and to be quiet. One of the things that often recharges him is he plays the piano. And he will love to sit down at the piano and just play the hymns. Um, and as a matter of fact, in the midst of the lowest, darkest days of his depression that fall, when he couldn't read, he couldn't read his Bible, he couldn't read the newspaper. And he would say he couldn't read his favorite Louis L'Amour books, mm -hmm. but he could sit down at the piano. Being an introvert doesn't disqualify him from being in public and knowing how to relate publicly, but it does speak to how he needs to recharge. And we've, we've been learning that continually in more and more depth. 
you know, just this fall, we have been traveling a lot and we do have a small cabin down in the mountains of Colorado that we will go to together in the summer. But Bill made a comment a couple of weeks ago. I said, he said, just, I just need to go down there and be alone. And I thought, okay. Well, I appreciate uh, how you're explaining that because I think there's a misconception about introvert, extrovert. And someone explained it to me this way, that an extrovert is energized by being around other people. An introvert is energized with alone time so mm-hmm. that they can enjoy being around people. other people. Yes. Right. And, and yes, you are absolutely right. I'm thinking of some introverts right now that when people see them in public, they would never, ever call them introverts. Never. Absolutely. Uh-huh. But when you see them privately, you know, it's like they're, they're completely empty. They need some space to, right. uh, to regroup. Yeah. Right. So that's a little side trail, but I think it was an important one for us to, to kind of talk about. You know, Sue, I think one of the biggest hurdles for helping someone who is in a clinical depression is there isn't any physical wound. And so some people feel like, uh, just get up and get moving. You know, what's wrong with you if you would just try harder? Were you ever frustrated? You kind of answered this a little bit uh, earlier, but was there ever a point where you felt like Bill's progress was too slow? You know, there was, Sharon, but it was a good four months into it. I remember it was the first Sunday in Advent, and Bill and I went back to church for the first time in several months. And I loved being there. I loved the service. I loved the music. I loved seeing my friends. And Bill could not wait to get out. You know, everyone was hugging him and welcome back. And it's just, he just couldn't handle that. That was the first time that I remember thinking, will this ever end? Is this going to be our new normal? And Bill did not go back to church for several more months after that. And all those people who came and welcomed him, they were well-meaning. They, I mean, they were sincere, but he realized he just, he wasn't there yet. But you were. I was. And Mm. I honestly don't remember, but I think I probably started going back to church on my own at that point. Which was probably a good thing. It yeah, was, it yeah. was probably a good thing. And that yeah. might be one of those uh, caregiver things that you do to keep yourself healthy. And I remember there was one older woman in the church who I looked up to for several years. And when I shared this whole what I just shared with you with Marian, she just totally understood and said, Sue, hey, just take it where it's at. No one is judging you and such like mm-hmm. that. And And that was... I needed a Marion in my life at that point in time. Well, that is such an important point about no one is judging you. I mean, you're unfortunately in Christian worlds and maybe beyond, we sometimes think of depression as a sign of weak faith. And it sounds like your friend was telling you, this is not weak faith. Right. This is, right. This is uh, something else. But for the depressed person or maybe those who love them, they feel shame. And shame mm-hmm. keeps them from connecting. Shame keeps them from getting the help that they need. What would you say to that person? You know, one of the things that one of the principles that Bill and I have been learning over the last many years and practicing is leaders go first. Mm-hmm. And you're right. You know, in Sunday school or in another setting where Bill has shared some of his depression stories, 
inevitably at the end of the sharing, someone will come up and kind of look to the left, look to the right and say, are you on meds? And they'll say, yeah, I am. And he'll say, you know, I've never told anyone this, but I am too. And obviously they are feeling the shame of feeling it's their weak, it's their faith is weak. Mm-hmm. And so because we're learning the importance of leaders go first, it is allowing other people to open up and say, hey, I am struggling too. And it gives them a, a, a community to walk forward with. I mean, and it goes back to that uh, passage, comfort others with the comfort with which you have been Absolutely. Comforted. Right. And, and the, when, when we lost our son, Mark, I would have given anything to be in that bubble of grace where I grieved deeply, but I didn't question God. I didn't wrestle with God. I didn't, um, you know, question where he was or his love for me. But instead, now I know that he gave me the gift of wrestling, which was to help me reconcile his love with his sovereignty, which made me so much more appreciative of who he was. It was a long, hard, wearisome battle. Mm-hmm. And I hated that gift uh, mm-hmm. for the longest time until the Lord started opening doors for me to share our story and be transparent about it for that one woman who was like me, holding on mm-hmm. to life by her fingernails, who desperately right. needed someone to say, it's not a sign of weak faith when you're pounding on God's chest. You know, if you're running toward him with open hands and not away from him, that's strong faith. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. strength. So bringing it out into the open is, I think, what a gift you mm-hmm. are giving. And, and through Bill's book, what a gift you are giving to so many. And that book is called Lay It Down, Living in the Freedom of the Gospel and and that and it's available all over the place. So I highly recommend it to anyone who wants to know more about how to walk this pathway with somebody else or even in their own heart, even in their own pathway. Some of the emotions and darkness, we've talked a lot about some of the practical things, but what were some of your emotions? How did you handle those emotions? Especially when you realize this was a blue feeling, this was not going to pass quickly, this was a profound illness. Sometimes I wonder if I should have been more in touch with my emotions. I really, like I said, I really worked at being with Bill, helping him, but I'm not sure I grieved it in the during as much as I realize the applications for our lives now. Some things that, you know, I wish I wish were different, but they're not. Yeah, so I'm not sure what I was thinking during those days as far as I was, I was living very much in the present. There were times I did not have a cell phone at that time, but Bill did. And, at that, and during those days, I had a part-time job. I was a consultant for the Longenberger Basket Company, mm. which meant that I would go out in the evenings and be with groups of women. And whenever I left, Bill handed me his cell phone and said, here, take this with you. And we still had a landline at that point in time. I guess I'm ashamed to say this, but I never questioned why he was giving me the cell phone. And what I didn't realize until he actually voiced it to me and gave me my own cell phone for Christmas um, was that he was actually afraid to be alone. And so... If I had his phone, 
he had a way to get hold of me. Mm-hmm. Now, he never used it. That never happened. Now, had I realized that, I would have, I would have quit the job. But it just, I never, I didn't question why he was giving me the phone other than, you know, he wants to be able to get hold of me. But even that, to me, it's, he was giving you a gift by not he, telling you that. Yes, yeah. yes. And, and he was. And, and he, and he, that was very intentional on his part. He wasn't beyond his thinking that way. And, and you know, um, so I'm thinking about Bill and, and we're, planning to, my husband Chuck is going to be talking with him so he can tell his own story. But, you know, our husbands are called to provide and protect us. And so I can imagine for him the struggle he went through internally that probably was even hard for him to articulate as he's watching you take on more responsibilities and his love for you is probably grew even deeper as he watched you step up, but that he could not be there in the way that he felt called right. to be there. Yeah. yeah. You're, you're, you're really right on that one. So, you know, uh, both of us are kind of ministry wives, partners in ministry. And so we share a lot with our husbands from the word and we partner, we stand with each other in helping people. And so at this really dark time, were the tables turned? Were you the one that was to lead spiritually? Or did you feel like you needed to keep reading the Bible to Bill? Or how, how did that work? You know, I'm not sure I ever thought about that. No, I didn't read the Bible to him. And I'm not sure he would have appreciated it at that point in time. He was at a point where his friendship with God, his relationship with God wasn't totally on hold, but it sure did not look like what it had looked like even two or three months previous. I think I mentioned that one thing that really did minister to his soul is when he would sit down at the piano and play the big, the old hymns of the faith. And that even came up just the last couple of weeks. Someone shared with us that how playing the piano ministered to them. And Bill said, you know, when I was going through my depression, that was a place where I connected with God. And so, and I always enjoy listening. I am unmusical. So I've always enjoyed listening to him play the piano. And there was no way that I felt like, oh, let me play the piano. That would not have worked. (laughs) You know, he had to meet with God where he was able to meet with God. And it would not have been helpful if I had tried to bring my ideas on, Bill, this is how we could do this at this point in time into the scenario. I, I think that's so wise. And what you're saying, because sometimes we think there's a formula for dealing with these kinds of crises. And clearly there is no formula. Uh, It's unique to the individual, to the couple, to the family, through a lot of prayer and hoping that and trusting the Lord to lead in those conversations and the ways that we help uh, those people that we hurt. So I, I appreciate that. But what are some of the ways that you helped yourself stay on track spiritually and maybe even physically and mentally and emotionally so that you could be Bill's caregiver and advocate? I tried to keep our home very normal. You know, I mentioned I continued working my job, which was probably important for me just to get out and to relate to people. I do believe that I did go back to church starting with Advent. And so again, I was hearing from the pulpit and I was being surrounded by friends. A 
big one that really, really helped me was I knew I was not in this alone. Bill was one of the senior vice presidents of the Navigators at this point in time. And our president, Alan Andrews, is a very wise and discerning man. And literally, Sharon, Alan called me every day that fall to say, how is Bill doing? What is going on now? And there were times where Alan actually called the decisions because we were in the beginning, we were going from kind of this responsibility to that response. You know, are we going to go to this meeting? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? And we made the decisions one trip at a time. And as the fall went on more and more, Alan started making the decisions on our behalf. Now I had to communicate those decisions to Bill, which wasn't always fun (laughs) because it really discouraged him. But that helped me tremendously to know that I was not in this alone. There was someone else who was really helping and someone else that I totally trusted. So you were so there for Bill. Uh, How did you keep yourself focused spiritually? How do you take care of yourself spiritually during that period? Yeah. You know, I think there were a couple of things. This whole depression and the help we got as a result of it. I mean, it was a a huge turning point in our lives. So I'm still talking before this huge transformation that God used. And I I have, up until the last couple of years, I have not been a big devotional book person. Matter of fact, I can't, even though I have some devotional books, I can't ever remember using them for my personal devotional times up until the last couple of years. And so I just continued doing what I was doing in my quiet time during that time. And I don't remember what that was. I also, as one of the wives of one of the men who was a vice president, I was involved in the group of other women. We all did Bible study together. And I can't remember if it was once a month or once every other week, but we always got together. And so if I ever felt gosh, what am I going to do in my quiet time? There were two things that I would always fall back on. One, I could prepare Bible study. Or the other thing was, and I've done this for years, is read the Psalms by the calendar, by the date on the calendar. So if it was October 30th, I'd read Psalm 30, and then I'd go up to Psalm 60, Psalm 90, Psalm 120, and I would just read until I've heard something from God. Mm-hmm. I like you, uh, what you just said about hearing something from God. Does that continue to today? Yes, yes. And I think one of the big things, one of the big lessons that I've learned over the past several years is if I'm going to be fed by the Lord, I don't go looking for what he wants to say to me. But I say, God, what do you want me to hear? How can I listen to you today? And so even as I help younger women in this stage of my life, and I'll say, how do you know God loves you? What are the scriptures that communicate that to you? Sometimes they can answer and sometimes they can't. And I'll say, you know, this might be the most important thing you can do is to know and be just convinced of God's love for you. Mm -hmm. But let me encourage you, don't go looking in the scriptures to find that. But start praying, God, help me to listen to you. Help me to hear from you because when they hear from God on their own, 
it communicates far more deeply and lastingly than to go to a concordance and look up God's love. Mm. I remember um, one of the things that I will do is I'll, I take one morning a week just for extended time in the word and in prayer. And I remember going to, and this is just an illustration of what I was just saying. I remember going to one of the very nice hotels here in Colorado Springs one Thursday morning and sat down in their lobby or it wasn't a lobby, but public area very close to a fireplace. And I opened a book that I was reading by Brennan Manning. And I don't remember what the book was at this point in time, but you know how authors sometimes on the top of chapters, they'll put a quote or they'll put a verse or whatever. Yes. And he had song of Solomon 710 written out. I am my beloved and his desire is for me. Oh my, I could have just closed my Bible, closed my notebook and walked out. I had heard from God and it was just such a, I probably would not have gone to Song of Solomon myself, Mm -hmm. but God took me there or Brenna Manning took me there or something. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, and I knew that I had heard from God. And to this day, that scripture has been very special for me. I think that's a, a perfect segue into one of the questions that I have about something that is in the summary of Bill's book. Uh, the summary, I want to read it uh, to you, and then I want to pick up on one of the phrases because it just seems to me that it is the whole center of what Bill and you experienced and was life-transforming for you through this um, this journey. So the summary is, call it burnout, a spiritual breakdown, or a personal crisis. The toll of Bill Tell's decades of successful ministry finally caught up with him. Incapacitated and depressed, he found that the road to recovery began at the cross. To his delight, healing opened new freedoms as he embraced the gospel in new ways. Now, when you know Bill's calling and what his life was, that's a pretty profound statement. That is life transforming. And what does it mean when you say the road to recovery began at the cross, that healing opened new freedoms as Bill embraced the gospel in new ways? Right. And I would even say as we embrace the gospel in new ways. You know, I've told you that the beginning of Psalm 1611, thou dost show me the path of life. And this path, this journey was kind of had its twists and turns. And it started out with getting the medical help and figuring out, you know, as the doctor had prescribed antidepressants and anti-anxieties, there's many different medications and there's many different doses. And that was, that took several months to figure Mm -hmm. that out, what was right for Bill. And then... In December, we went out with um, one of our friends, Alan Andrews, who is the president of Navigators, he and his wife. And he said, Bill and Sue, when you're ready, I want you to go talk with our friend down in Phoenix. There's something going on here that I don't, is beyond me, which was tremendously humbling on his part to say that. As I said, he's a very discerning man. So that happened in late January, early February. Um, In the meantime, Bill's dad died. Mm -hmm. So there was another whole um, Mm -hmm. scenario in there. But our friend in Phoenix said, 
I would really like you to go to a counseling intensive up in Denver. And it's one of those situations where you don't know how long you're going to be there. It could be one week, two weeks, a month, and you can't go home. Wow. Wow. <laughs> there are several things on this. One uh-huh. was this man's office was an hour and 15 minutes from our house. And I'm thinking, why can't mm-hmm. we go home? <laughs> yes. um, it ended up we were with him for two weeks. And the other thing, and there's a whole backstory to this, but a couple of years previous, Bill had said, Sue, why don't you go get some counseling? And in my mind, that was the worst he could have said. Am I that bad that I need counseling? But, you know, I had no problem going to talk to this therapist because it was Bill's problem, not mine. He helped us understand Bill's depression. He helped us both individually in our own spiritual lives. And we got help in our marriage, which was a three for one. We just, it was above and beyond what we were expecting. And so he found that the road to recovery began at the cross and healing opened new freedoms. Mm. One of the things that we both had struggled with for years was being people pleasers, doing the right thing, looking the right way. And we didn't, we did not realize the toll that was taking. Mm. We did not realize that that was the opposite of trusting who God created us to be. And that was one of the big reasons that Bill went into this depression. Mm. You know, there, yes, there was the, the family background that he had that. Um, and yes, he was extremely, extremely busy carrying a lot of responsibility. But possibly realizing our new identity that we are the beloved children of God, and that is underneath every other identity we held. Mm. And that is what has to feed everything we do. Mm. Um, And as we began embracing that and trusting in that, God, I don't want to say began because, like I said, the medicine was necessary, but he continued the process of transformation in both of our lives Mm. And I would say that that was probably the biggest issue. Over the years, Bill has gone on and off the medication, but we've never gone off meditating on who God says we are, thinking about our desires, realizing the places where we didn't realize that we were believing lies that needed to be corrected by truth. And in all of that, this new freedom, it just, it was life-changing. It is being life-changing for us. And I, and I have a feeling it will continue until we meet the Lord face-to-face. The last time Bill was at the doctor for a little tune-up on the medications, the doctor said to him, Bill, you know, you probably just need to stay on this till you're 99 years old. So I wondered what was going to happen at his 100th birthday, but... <laughs> But the more we meditated, pondered, thought about living out our identity, who God created us to be, living out the desires that he indeed put in our hearts, um, the more freedom we have had as people and in the ministry that God has called us to. And Bill really expands on this in his book, Lay It Down, Living in the Freedom of the Gospel. And again, that book is available uh, online in bookstores very easy to get and I've read it and it's wonderful and 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 it, it it takes time to really think through and process what you have just shared Sue 
you know, it's, I, I hope that it's kind of like salty peanuts for listeners to say, I, I need to know more about this because so many of us are the, it, stuck in that people-pleasing cage and we just don't understand what's waiting out there for us in the treasures that God has for us. So absolutely, I really appreciate, I, I appreciate that so much, what you're saying. So what is one practical step that you would say is critical for someone who is struggling with depression or any severe life issue. And you know, Sharon, I don't think it has to even be severe. We're all broken. We're all a mess. (laughs) You know, I think the practical step, the big step that Bill and I have learned over the last 18 years is don't hide. Get help. You know, for us, first it was medical help, and then it was a journey to get to the therapist but it was a therapist. Find friends who you can trust and entrust your issues with. And you know, sometimes it might take a while to find who those friends are. You know, sometimes you might share, oh my gosh, I'm struggling with depression. And you'll get the, oh my, I thought you were the spiritual giant. What's going on? And you think, you know what? I can continue to enjoy your friendship. Let's go out for coffee. But in my mind, I know that's not the one that I'm going to trust the deepest, darkest. But then you go, you know, I am really struggling with depression. What words do you have for me? And you know what? God is going to use that transparency and vulnerability in big, big ways. So I think the if I would say one practical step is don't hide. So, you know, one of the things I've asked you and Bill is to tell me what kind of vitamins you guys take because you travel so much and you are pouring your hearts and lives into so many people in a very busy season of life. But I, I can imagine that that could also um, be an opportunity for Bill to slip back into depression. Do you feel free to alert him if you see him slipping? You know, Sharon, the answer, the short answer to that is yes, I do. But I don't need to. We both know if he's, if he's slipping. We just got home from a two-week trip that was a, a three-state trip um, without coming home. And we were, we were tired when we came home. And this is a pretty busy week as well. And he said to me at lunchtime, he said, you know, honey, next week, I, I want to keep it really open because on Friday of next week, we leave for Europe. That is our last trip till after the first of the year. I want to keep it really. See, he knew. He knew he need, and, and both of us knew. And it's good to take care of yourself. It's good to know your body and your mind and your emotional strength and to step back and say, okay, it's time to regroup, time to recover, time to rest and give ourselves permission to do that. Absolutely. Well, you kind of talked about your marriage a little bit through the counseling that the Lord used that to transform your marriage. How do you two intentionally guard your marriage and emotional health today? Right. You know, a lot of that goes back to the freedom that we feel the Lord has opened up to us as we're understanding who he created us to be. We actually have a small cabin down in the wet mountains about two hours south of here. And, you know, Sharon, for years, I would not have said that out loud because should missionaries have a cabin in the mountains? Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, 
Bill decided he wanted a cabin in the mountain. And I remember asking him one day, I said, honey, how long have you wanted this cabin? And he said, since I was a little boy. And I thought, okay. And we use this cabin. Um, we call it our sanctuary. We did not build it big enough to have all the kids and grandkids there at the same time. Um, we built it as a place where we could go and be quiet and listen to God and take walks. Mm. Um, and so like this weekend, I have a cousin coming from the East Coast. She's out here for business and, and she and I are gonna go for lunch on Saturday. But Bill is going down to the cabin and he is gonna take two days of time, quiet time alone with God. And you know what, a few years ago, I would have been insecure about that. Shouldn't I go with him? Or should I tell my cousin no or whatever? And, uh, but I realized that this is something that Bill needs. And as an extrovert, and as an extrovert who enjoys your cousins a lot, who Bill hardly knows, <laughs> I, am, I am very okay with staying home and letting him get his time and letting me get my time. I'm Sharon Batters, and you have been listening to a conversation with Sue Tell through a help and hope resource produced by Mark Inc. Ministries. When you visit markinc.org, that's M-A-R-K-I-N-C.org, you will find many more free resources just like this one. To hear more from Sue about her journey with her husband through clinical depression, visit Echoes of Grace at suetell.com. That's S-U-E. T-E-L-L.com. And especially take note of Sue's post titled Bill's Depression and Me, published in October 2017. We include all of these links on our website at markinc.org as well. You know, one of our goals is to address life crises that are often experienced in isolation. They're difficult to talk about, and it's hard to know how to help. But each one of these conversations that we offer to you through Mark Inc. is designed to equip and encourage listeners to walk by faith in the pathways that God has marked out for them. If this conversation or any of our resources has been helpful to you, would you please let us know? We would love to share that encouragement with those who have poured out their lives so transparently. Thank you for listening, and please contact us if there is any way that we can help you.